Today, we have an opportunity together to, to look at a, a circumstance where a situation was, was dire. There were some really bad circumstances, and Jesus stepped into it, and he made something good out of it. We are in a series looking at the signs Jesus performed, recorded in the Gospel of John. And our key verse in this series is in John chapter 20. It's at the end of John's Gospel. I'd like to look at it real quick. John did many, or Jesus did many things, many other signs in the presence, John writes, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As we, as we look into the passage in, in John 11 today, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, um, I'd like you to be on the lookout for something. When, when John says that we may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, think, when you think Christ, think Messiah, the one who was told to, God said would come and deliver his, the people, bring salvation, bring his ability to save. Christ is the ability to save, ability. And then the Son of God is, Jesus is the one who is like God, is equal to God. When Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, people tried to kill him because they were saying, that's blasphemy, you're claiming to be equal with God. Ability to save and one who demonstrates God's character, what he's like. And if you believe, then you will have life in his name. A way I, I think about that is, is a correct understanding and trust in God's ability and character, understanding those things right, will transform the way you live your life. Amen. The way you interact with tragedy, the way you interact with everything. Difficult situations where you don't know what to do. Trusting in God's ability and his character, having a right understanding of those things will change everything. In John chapter 11, we're going to begin the story. Verse 1 it says that a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village, Bethany is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, uh, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Real quick, just want to pause there and recognize that John seems to be going to great lengths to try to communicate the depth of relationship Jesus has with these people. We haven't heard the story in the gospel of John about Mary wiping Jesus's feet with her hair. That's coming in the next chapter, but John brings it up early before we've even read about it, before he's even recorded it, because I think he's trying to press on us deep caring relationship is here. And also, they, they're, they're so confident in their, their relationship with Jesus that they, that they send to Jesus saying, the one who you love is ill. Deep relationship. But when Jesus heard this in verse four, when Jesus heard this, he responds and says, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So he's saying that God and his son will be glorified through this thing, this illness. Here's what I think that means. God is going to use this tragedy as an opportunity to display his ability, what he can do, and his character, what he's like. But also to prove that Jesus is the one who displays these things. Jesus is the one sent to display these things. Remember, Jesus said this is not going to lead to death. That's an interesting statement. I want you to keep that in your mind. In John 11, verse 5, says that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he, heard, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Does that sound like, is that a weird way to say that? Doesn't that seem strange? He loved them very much, so he did not respond to what they needed. <laughs> that seems odd to me. I mean, at first reading, Right. He stayed where he was. Well, he didn't respond in the way they noticed, right? He did do something. He waited. <laughs> but it doesn't say he waited because he had other things to do. He didn't say he waited because, you know, I'll let them sweat this out. He waited because he loved them, right? He waited because he loved them. It tells us why he waited. Because he loved them. You know, I was... Uh, I was thinking about this, you know, and when we find out later in the story, I, I want to I live in Mary and Martha's shoes for a second because so, so far, you know, their brother's ill. They send the messenger to this one that they know can do something about it. And later in the story, you find out that Lazarus, once Jesus gets there, has been dead for four days. He dies. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus waits two days. Now, I'm not going to draw the math out for you. Just trust me if it doesn't make sense. But what that means is to account for the time Lazarus was dead. He was dead for four days. Jesus waited two days. What that means is if it was any less than a day's travel for the guy to get there and for Jesus to get there, then it would be more than four days or less than four days or any more than a day's travel, it would be more. So here's the, here's the thing. What I'm trying to say is when the guy leaves to tell Jesus about Lazarus being sick, he leaves. Lazarus is still sick because he tells Jesus, hey, the guy's sick. But as soon as he leaves, he dies. Lazarus dies as soon as that guy leaves. I mean, he must have to, to account for the days. So you know what that, here's, here's how this went down. Mary and Martha say, go tell Jesus. Okay, Lazarus is sick. The guy goes, he tells Jesus. Jesus says something like, he's not gonna die, it's okay. It's, what, it's probably what, what, the way they interpreted that. This is not gonna lead to death. And so the, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the messenger's thinking something like, well, Jesus has healed other people with just a word. I mean, maybe he's healed. This is great news. I'm going to be the bearer of good news. I'm going to come back to my friends and tell them good news. And then he gets back and he sees mourning and crying probably and pain. And probably he's confused, don't you think? Because there's, and then Mary and Martha think, well, where's Jesus? We sent for Jesus. And he said, well, he... He stayed. Well, what did, what did he say? Did he say anything? I think he said he wasn't going to die. And they would probably have said, well, he's already dead. Well, that's weird, right? I was talking to my kids about this. I was, I was at the table preparing some stuff yesterday, and my kids were sitting at the table, and they, they heard me talking to myself. <laughs> and, um, and so I told them, isn't this weird? And, and so uh, my, my, my youngest, or not my Gosh, I have four kids. I don't know where he falls. He's like second to the youngest. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. I do know where he falls in line. 
Um, don't ask me his name, but it's Johnny. It's Johnny. Johnny said, <laughs> he said, that would be like, you know, saying Lazarus isn't going to die when he's already dead would be like me saying the food's not going to spoil when it already spoiled. You know, that's how, how weird. Why would he do that? that? That would probably be a challenging circumstance, don't you think, for Mary and Martha to go through? Because I'm wondering, like, does that, cha- does that challenge your trust in Jesus' ability to know what's going on? You're, you're thinking, huh, he said he's not going to die, but he already died. It's almost like Jesus is saying, it's going to be okay. But Mary and Martha are like, oh, it's passed. It's, it's done. There's nothing that can be done. Literally, this is a, it's over, Jesus. It can't be okay. It's too far. The situation is too desperate now. Maybe, maybe he's just wrong. I don't. Confusion, right? That would be really hard to deal with, don't you think? Have you ever been in a situation where it seems like, well, man, I guess, I guess I have to give up on this because this is too final. I guess there's nothing that can be done. I know Jesus says he'll bring good out of it, but maybe, maybe just, maybe just not this thing. I don't know. I think that would be hard for them, don't you think? In verse 7, it says, Then after the two days, he says to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just not seeking, they were just seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again. And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. First of all, that seems like a weird thing to say at that time. <laughs> I'm like, I, okay, I know, I, I know walking in the dark, you trip, but I think that what Jesus is trying to say is he's, he's trying to tell them that it's safer to be with Jesus in danger than to seek safety without him. And here's what, here's what I mean. Jesus has already told them that he is the light of this world. And they're saying, well, it's dangerous to go there. And Jesus is saying, well, listen, when you're with me, you don't have to be afraid because I'm the light of this world and I'm actually not here primarily to try to keep you from danger. I'm trying to turn you into the kind of people that don't have to be afraid of danger. You don't have to be afraid of danger because, because I'm the light of the world and I'm gonna teach you how to walk in the light as I am in the light. And that way you can have the light in you too. And you don't gotta be afraid of anything. That's what he's trying to say. And he's still teaching. He's teaching his disciples then. He's still teaching us now. That's still a lesson we need to learn. In verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant take, taking rest and sleep because he said sleep. <laughs> then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Well, one of the first things I think we see here is that Jesus' view of death is different than his disciples because Jesus speaking about death calls it sleep. Says he goes to wake him. 
So, I mean, I'm sure that from the disciples' perspective, they're thinking, well, sleep is not something you just wake up from. <laughs> I mean, if you're dead, sorry, sleep is something you wake up from. Dead is not something you wake up from, right? When you're dead, you're dead and you don't wake up. But Jesus is offering a different way. So to Jesus, being dead is like sleeping. And he also says that he's glad he wasn't there, but he doesn't say, I'm glad I wasn't there. Well, what he does say is I'm glad for your sake because it's good for you. There is something good for you in me not being there. And it's that you may believe. Now, I thought it was interesting that, that he says to disciples who already believe, they said they're, they're with him, right? That you may believe. So here's, here's the thing. Even if you do believe, there is more to believe. Even if you already do, there is more to believe. And the more you do believe in his ability and his character, the more it will change your life. But... You know, I'm thinking about this. I was, I was just really thinking and, and, I'm, and I'm imagining myself in the disciples' shoes and, and knowing the end of the story, you know, I'm like wondering, why doesn't Jesus just come right out and say like, listen guys, uh, Lazarus died. I'm gonna go raise him from the dead. It's gonna be great. We're not gonna get hurt. It's, it's fine. Like, why do not he just tell him? Or, and, and also, if there's something he wants him to believe, why doesn't he just say, well, here's what I'd like you to believe. Just tell me, I'll believe it. I've already seen you do some crazy stuff. Just tell me what you want me to believe. I'll believe it. But here's the thing. That's not how belief works actually. And, I, and, and we all know this because, because if you find out that the mechanic you just took your car to has only read books about cars and he's never actually fixed the car, you're probably going to say, oh, I might want to find a different mechanic. <laughs> or a brain surgeon, right? You do not want to be the first guy that a brain surgeon tries to learn how to cut open. You don't want, I mean, that's right. I don't. <laughs> I, and I've had this experience too. You know, um, when I was a teenager, pretty much my whole life, I, I had heard that jumping off of bridges was not good for you. You know, you know when people are like, well, if, every, if all your friends jump off a bridge, are you going to do it too? You, have you heard that one before? And, and behind the saying is, jumping off of bridges is dangerous. Don't just do it because other people do it. Well, I'd heard that. I'd been given that information. I knew it, but I didn't really believe it. And I had some friends that in fact wanted me to jump off of a bridge with them. And it was 35 feet up in the air. I lived on this barrier island. There was bridges going between the barrier islands. And uh, so people would, friends of mine, we'd go out and jump off the bridges. I'd never done it before. And I thought, well, that, would, that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. I've gone to, to water parks where we you know, get on this super, super high slide and you slide down it, adrenaline rush. It's super fun and whew, get your blood pumping, right? And so I'm like, yeah, it'll be like that on a, jumping off a bridge. And so we get up to the top of this bridge and I'm up there with my buddy and and he's like, he's rooting me on. Come on, you got to do it. And there was a bike rider coming. He's like, as soon as that bike rider gets here, you got to jump, man. You got to do it. You got to do it. And he's like psyching me up. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so I jump off. And, and when, you, when you go down the slide at the water park, this is what they tell you to do. And so my reaction instantly, as soon as I jump off, is to do this. It's just like an instant thing. And I close my eyes and I, and I tense up and I start falling like this. Like I'm falling like this, you see? And then I just slammed, belly flopped from 35 feet in the air, right on the water. It was probably, I thought I died. <laughs> I thought I was dead in that moment. I survived, but uh, it was bad. It was really bad. Honestly, I'm like, I didn't know which way was up. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I had knocked the wind out of me so bad that I couldn't breathe at all. I'm, I'm, I'm scraping up the water, trying to gasp for air, can't take a breath. And all I hear is my buddy yelling from the top, like, dude, was that awesome or what? 
And I'm like throwing a thumbs up at him, like, because I don't want him to think I'm a, an idiot. I don't know. Because he jumps off right after me and his, his form is perfect and he just slides, dives in. Anyway, I'll tell you, now I know that jumping off of a bridge is dangerous. I have been told, but I also have an experience now that makes it really true to me. Jesus knows that just giving you information, that's not how you believe stuff, really. Most important things you don't. The most important things, you need an experience along with the information. Now, this is hard because what, what we're saying here is there's a really bad situation, a really bad experience that Jesus is using to teach with. But this is why we need to know his ability and his character, because God has the ability to bring good out of something that you think is completely impossible to bring good out of. He has the ability to do that. And through it, teach you something without destroying you. We have very limited capacity as human beings to bring good out of bad situations. So the, the amount of bad that we can allow has to be small. But Jesus, he can allow bigger bad because he can do bigger good. He can, he can do bigger good things than we can. I've got to keep going. In verse 17, now when Jesus came to the tomb, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And look what Martha says. She said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You know, it doesn't seem like her eschatology is very comforting to her right now. And just a quick comment on that. What you think you know about something actually has the possibility of, 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 of allowing you, a possibility of keeping you away from understanding it in the way that you need to know it. If the way you know it, the way you think you know it, it might be too shallow to comfort you. And it might be keeping you in a place where you think you don't need to learn it. Because anytime someone says, I'd like to tell you something, and you think you already know it, you don't try to learn it, right? She did not have the kind of understanding that comforted her. But it, there is an understanding that could have comforted her. See, see, look what Jesus did. He goes on with her. He's like, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't get it. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, same thing your sister said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And the most popular memory verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You know what's interesting? Their understanding of Jesus' ability, Mary's understanding of his ability, it made her cry. I know you could have done something. It was not very consoling. That's weird, right? So often we try to, I know I do, I try to comfort myself in times of trouble knowing, well, God can do anything. But here we have two sisters who are having a very difficult time because they know he could have done something. That gave me some trouble when I was thinking about it. I was, I was thinking, why? Why? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I think that's why, that's why it's so important that John captured Jesus' emotional response to Mary. Because if all you have is what he can do, if that's all you have is what he's able to do, and you don't pair that with his character, it actually won't be very comforting for you. Because John recorded a lot of stuff. We don't even know what happened in the two days where Jesus just waited. It doesn't tell us. But something John made sure that we knew was that when he saw the one he loved crying, he cried too. And there are theologians, you know, I'm, I'm studying this, I'm reading, and there are theologians that just go back and forth. Why in the world would Jesus cry when he's about to raise Lazarus right from the dead? I mean, do you, when you know you're going to fix something, do, how, how often do you, do you think, oh, uh, just sit there with the person and they think, no, let's get up. Come on, I'm going to fix it. You know, that's, that's the way all these theologians are thinking about it. And, but you know what? As, I, as I, I, was, I was thinking more about it, I, I realized, you know, there are times where I cry when I know everything is still okay. Do you ever cry at a movie? I cry at movies. Probably more than I want to admit, but... I know it's a story. It's made up, right? What's going on with that? Why do we do that? You know why we do that? Because the way we are wired, God made us in such a way that we need to not be alone in our pain. We need someone to feel it with us. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is stepping into the pain with him because, because he cares. Because he, 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 is, he is the kind of God that Jesus became a, a person. Do you, get, do you know this? This was a really big deal to the early church, actually. The, the biggest heresy that they were trying to knock out was that Jesus was, just a, was, was actually not really a human. Jo John at one point says that that is the spirit of Antichrist to say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. It's very important to the early church that we preserve the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was God and he was man. He wasn't just God. And sometimes when, when all we think about is the bigness and the strength and the power of Jesus, and we don't think about his humanity, he ends up becoming like an unblinking stare that just knows everything and is just waiting. But he's not like that. Because Jesus came to show us that though he has great power, he has such great love. And I think that we need to remember this, that Jesus is glad about the good he can bring out of our pain, but he is not glad that it hurts. He is not glad that it hurts. He is glad about what can come out of it, but he is sad that it hurts. 
He is glad about what he can do. He is glad about the fact that I can use this and we can experience something together that will teach you something you need to know. But I am not glad that it hurts you. Don't ever think I'm glad that it hurts you. And don't try to become the kind of person that enjoys pain, okay? That's called masochism. That's a dysfunction. And sometimes the way, sometimes the way that Christians will try to comfort each other, it almost sounds like we're saying, be happy about the struggle. No, pain's not the way. God is not happy that you're hurting. He's sad that you're hurting, but he can bring something good out of it because he has such great ability. Verse 36, it says that the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You notice how some of them noticed what he didn't do and some of them noticed how much he loved same group of people. Some of them noticed, look at how he's just demonstrating how much he loves. And the other group said, look how he's not coming through. Same group of people, same miracle. They had an option about what they decided to see. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, over and over again. He's just drilling in our minds that Jesus cares so much. He said, deeply moved twice. Jesus cried, the one that Jesus loved. He wants you to know Jesus cares and he's not indifferent. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, it's too late. By this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? You see that weird order? If you believe you'll see the glory. He doesn't say you'll see the glory and then you'll believe. He says, you, you have been given sufficient evidence. And if you decide to not believe, then there are ways God is moving you just won't see. If you believe, if you believe what you've seen already, then you'll be able to see more. But if you refuse to believe, you won't. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they took the stone away, verse 41, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Does Jesus not seem a little exhausted to you? Like emotionally worn out because he's been emotionally involved. This is one he loves and he doesn't say anything to him. He's just like, you guys unbind him. I'm just beat. There were times where Jesus was worn out. I want to say something about a miracle because sometimes when we hear about the miracles in the Bible, it can be a difficulty for us because I don't, I don't know that I necessarily see miracles like this in my life. Quick word, a miracle. John calls miracles signs for a reason. A miracle is meant to point to something other than itself. A miracle is if, you, if, if you're on the way to Disney and you just pull over and sit down at the sign, as beautiful as those signs to Disney look, man, you ain't there yet. A miracle, is point, a miracle is pointing to something else beyond it. And also miracles have to be rare in order to be miracles or else they're just the way things happen, right? 
And what Jesus is trying to show us is that even the most desperate situation, the thing that you think all hope is lost, it's all done, there's nothing else that can be done, it's over, is not, Jesus says, no, no, no. I can bring good out of even the most desperate things. When you think it's over, I can fix that. Trust me. It is never too far gone for me to bring good out of it. Ever. Amen. Ever. And I think we need to know this because so often it is the fear that things are desperate and done that drives us into sin as a solution. And we need to know that we do not have to be afraid. We can be with Jesus. We can walk in the light. There is nothing we need to fear. We don't need to fear how bad it's gotten because he can fix it. We don't have to think, well, if I don't take this into my own hands, because that's so often how we break it. He can fix it. You know, the last thing I want to notice about this before we, we finish is that when Jesus shows up here, you know, the disciples said, they're going to kill you, Jesus. And they were right. Because when Jesus shows up here, it's right after the, the raising of Lazarus, some of the people that saw, they went and told the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a meeting and like, it's gone too far. And in verse 53, it says, then they decided from that point forward to kill him. They made plans to kill him. So in order for Jesus to save Lazarus, he had to die. In order for Jesus to save Lazarus, it meant signing his death warrant. And here's what I think we need to see in this. This is a picture of how Jesus wants us to see the things in our life. I mean, ultimate salvation, but he cares about everything in your life. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, I am so committed to proving to you that you can trust me and that I love you, that I'm, I will die to prove it. Romans, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates, he shows us his love this way, that Christ died. While we were still sinners, he died. He said, I'll bleed for you to prove that you can trust me. So I think that the thing we need to take away from this, the thing I'd like to take away from this is that God wants us to know he can bring more good out of every situation, any situation than I ever imagined was possible. And his ability is bigger and his character is sweeter than I thought it was. And so you hear something like, well, is there something I can do? What do I do? What do I do to get this in me? You said, Mark, it's not just information. It's like, I got to have an experience. You know what, here, I'd like to challenge you. I don't know what your, your quiet time is like, but I would challenge you that the Bible over and over again talks about thanking God. A gratitude practice is how some call it. But for a month, try this. In the morning, write down three things that you're grateful for, unique every day, and pick somebody to keep you accountable. Hey, did you do it today? A gratitude practice, thanking God for things. Here's one, easy. Think about your sight. Did you thank God that you can see today? Because here's the thing. If you couldn't see, there's a lot of things that you would miss. There are a lot of smiles of people you love that you wouldn't be able to see anymore. That would break your heart, I think. If you lost the ability to see, I don't have grandkids yet, but I, I hope I get to see the smile of my grandkids. And if God lets me, man, I should thank him for it every day, don't you think? Such a small thing I take for granted all the time. I'm sure I can think of three a day for a month. 
because it so struck me that there were some people as Jesus was walking to the dead man's tomb when everybody thought all hope was lost, some people still said, look how he loves him. Some people still saw the way that God was showing his love, even though the man was still dead. And even though everyone was crying, they saw his love. But then there were others that chose to see how he didn't come through. That was what they chose to focus on. And we can choose to focus on the ways that he shows us his love every single day, even in the midst of terrible tragedy. And I think that it will change our experience in our life. I think it will make us more durable people, more joyful people who are not drawn to sin, not drawn to losing our temper, but are drawn to the Savior.